Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yumiko's Holiday Collection, comprised of festive ready-to-wear options, will be available in stores and online this month. Receive a first chance to shop the new items at their Instagram Live shopping event on December 15th. Plus, for the very first time, the new 2021 colors will be revealed. These events are a lot of fun and discounts are offered, so be sure to tune in at Yumiko on Instagram on December 15th. Yumiko is proud to donate 100% of all sales received on Black Friday to various underfunded dance schools, companies, and COVID-19 dancer relief funds. They are so grateful for their loyal customers who not only join them to raise money, but for also helping them to carry through this exceedingly difficult year. Yumiko wishes all of you a happy and healthy holiday season. As a reminder, the New York City flagship store is standing by and ready to process all of your orders via phone and email to ensure that you can shop safely from home. Check out yumiko.com and Yumiko's Instagram at Yumiko for more virtual training options this winter, new releases, store updates, holiday specials, and much more. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today we are joined by choreographer Andreas Heiss. Born in Germany, Andreas began his formal ballet training at the age of 16. In 1998, he joined his first company, Leipzig Ballet, and in 2003, he joined the Norwegian National Ballet in Oslo, where he performed many leading roles. In 2006, Andreas started to choreograph regularly for the Norwegian National Ballet and has since choreographed for companies around the world. Today, Andreas talks to us about how he came to dance, about his career, his background in music and opera, his choreography, and his dance film for friend of the pod, Trey McIntyre's streaming service, Flatpak. See Andreas' newest film created exclusively for Flatpak starting Friday, December 18th at 8 p.m. Eastern on FLTPK.com. That's FLTPK.com. You can join now for as little as $2 per month, and your patron dollars go directly to support the artists involved in the platform.
Andreas, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you. You are in Germany. We are not. <laughs> we, are we wish across, we were. We wish we were. That's true. <laughs> we're across the world from each other. And we're so happy that Zoom is bringing us together today. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me and inviting me. I'm really curious about this now. I'm really happy. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. <laughs> so we like to start with all of our guests at the beginning and their origin story with dance. And it seems that you have a particularly interesting one with a mother who is a dancer and a father who's an opera singer. So tell us a little bit about, obviously you were well immersed in the arts, but how did you come to dance? Well, it wasn't really an obvious thing at first, even though my mom was a dancer, but she told me that I was dancing around in a very early age, mm -hmm. but uh, I took a lesson when I was about seven and I thought it was not so much fun. And then I pursued other things within the theater. Uh, I wanted to become a makeup artist for the longest mm -hmm. time. Uh, I sang in the children's choir. So I was on stage from the age of 11, but not dancing. And then you know, the, the wall came down in Germany and things, structures within the theater in my hometown changed and the company became more international. So I, I was kind of mesmerized by this classical ballet that I saw that I haven't seen on such level before. Mm -hmm. And then at the age of 13, 14, I kind of had this urge of wanting to move my body. But it wasn't all very obvious because I was a little bit of a chubby child. And... Um, <laughs> So no one expected me to dance. And I did that also hidden in the living room with my best friend. And then, and then you know, a few years passed and I actually addressed the idea of wanting to dance professionally to my mother when I was 15. And we were in the car and she stopped the car and she said, no. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, she's like, are you crazy? It's too late. It's too hard. Not enough talent. You know, forget about it. And I was like, okay, I guess I have to trust that opinion because she knows what it's all about. Right. Um, but then the, the urge was bigger and I went secretly to an audition for ballet school, my only audition for any ballet school in Dresden. And so the plan was if I get in, I come back home and tell them I go to ballet school and if I don't get in, no one will hear a word about it. <laughs> And I got in and yeah, and then within a month, I went to the Bali school in the middle of the year and I had my education there. So were you training at all or this was all just like intuitive movement that you were doing? <laughs> I mean, it was a little crazy because <laughs> on the way to the audition on the train, I had a book that was in my mother's shelf about classical ballet and I read, what is a tendu, what is a jeté? But I knew because I copied movements from what I saw. So I was already doing periods and jumping. I mean, it didn't look great, but it felt great at the time. <laughs> but I kind of did all this technical stuff, but have never had the ballet class. But I kind of knew what that was because also when I was little, my mother, uh, you know, she put me in the ballet studio when there was no babysitter. So I must have mm -hmm. somewhere... Mm -hmm. sport that knowledge I, I never had trouble learning movement I kind of knew okay this is what it's supposed to be that's amazing. Um, that's so interesting yeah. like just being a, a I mean being a good mimic is like the is such an important skill you know I mean I think like so many it, the, this just came to mind I remember Susie Pilar when we were talking to her about Jerry Robbins she was like that's why 
he put me in things from the beginning because it was just like he would do something and when I could I could do it back at him kind of looking like what he did you right. know so I mean how did that skill continue to help you as you became a professional dancer and onward I mean that must have been an immense of immense use to your choreographers and directors and everyone you're working with yes I mean I think it was more a skill that I, I knew how to learn quickly mm -hmm. and adapt because I also, when I started, I had to adapt the bar with two hands because I joined a class that was in the fifth year and I was a complete beginner. So I had to mm -hmm. do a lot of self work uh, and rethink and think quickly. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, that made me also in my early career, someone who was thrown into things very mm -hmm easily <laughs> michael and i talk about this all the time <laughs> we, we love you know everyone loves to be thrown on we love the drama. <laughs> yeah it's but great. also it makes you so valuable to a company when you can just like learn quick and go in and go in all those spots you know i'm just laughing because i remember a specific time where rebecca like at, it was like at an intermission or something where they put you into a different flower spot like they should one time please many but that, there was a specific time where you really really they were just like oops someone died in snow and <laughs> and then they just like you know you don't get a rehearsal it's just like you think through it and then go do it yeah. right and yeah. i remember rebecca just like beaming <laughs> i was so pleased was my <laughs> claim to fame here we are my claim to fame <laughs> but enough about us um so but what i want to know is how your mom reacted so you did this secret audition you got in and then you came back and presumably you were like i'm going what was your mom's reaction to that i mean i remember that very clearly because i waited for the right moment when my father was on the sofa and my mom was home and <laughs> she was just in shock my father had a laughing attack because they just didn't believe that this was going to happen right and my mom initially thought she told me that later that i would come back after a few months because mm -hmm. i realized oh it's actually hard mm -hmm. work but it was the opposite. And, and, you know, after a while she saw that things were happening, I was getting better. And then she became proud at some point, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she didn't really believe that I will make it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when, when did the making it happen? How many years <laughs> did it take? I mean, you obviously were playing a lot of catch up, but did you, when did you get accepted into your first company, which was Leipzig Ballet, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Well, I was 20. So I joined the ballet school when I was 16. Mm -hmm. It was a four-year education at the time, but I did three and a half because I joined in the middle of the first year. Right. And then after, after one year at the school, because I didn't have a lot of ambitions to join a big company, I just wanted to dance no matter where. Mm -hmm. But then my teacher was like, well, actually, you're improving so quickly. I think you can dance in a very good company. And that was another key moment where I thought, oh, I could. <laughs> and then, you know, I started working more and more. And then I actually had three offers after graduating. So I, I could pick and choose the company that I wanted, which was the one in Leipzig. Um, for the time, I thought it was the best for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What kind of things went into that thought process? Was there a repertoire that you were interested in there? What was the thing that drew you to that company? Well, it was actually reflecting on it now is 
more the musical choices that the director made. (laughs) It was a combination of using um, symphonic music and having a very technical approach, very dynamic. I just enjoyed the translation of the music into movement at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Was your connection to to music, was that something that you feel like was... um, gifted to you from your parents or part of your education in Germany or kind of both? It's a little bit of everything. I mean, being disposed to classical music at all times in the theater, I mean, that was one thing. It was also up to today. It's like the only music that I really understand and feel. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was also a bit weird at home with records that we had and I would sit in front of the speaker you know, and when someone was talking, I would shush them and say, you know, you cannot talk now, there's music playing. <laughs> Amazing. So there, there was always a very particular relationship to classical music, something almost spiritual. So for me, as a dancer and as a choreographer, it's always been the main driving force. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I played the guitar and I sang, I took singing lessons. I actually wanted to shift careers at the age of 21. I wanted to become a, an opera singer. And I awesome. did like, lessons i did the um what's it called there the audition at the music university in leipzig oh my gosh yeah (laughs) what was going on in your career at that time you were in a company you were a new dancer um you've talked a lot about some of the struggles and other interviews that you had during that time what was kind of going through your head and what made you think like maybe i need to make a shift It was probably also a combination of being a dancer thrown into things. You know, Mm -hmm. you, I landed in some sort of box, but also I have to admit that I also blocked some of my chances, a little bit of a self manipulation because I wasn't ready and things were given to me that I felt like I wasn't ready. I couldn't actually handle it. Mm -hmm. I felt like I wasn't prepared for it in a way. Um, and then I was put into a, a certain box, you know, reliable and sort of demi-soloist stuff, and, mm-hmm. but it didn't go anywhere. So I felt, and also the director at the time, he, he was quite ill. So the whole thing felt like a dead end in a way, mm-hmm. creatively. And then I tried to put all this energy or the passion into another field, which was singing, uh, which built up very beautifully at the time. And But then the question was, I didn't actually get into the university um, because the the panel, they knew me from stage and they they said to me after I've sung all these arias and songs, they were like, are you sure that you want to stop dancing? (laughs) And I was so like, oh my God, was it that terrible? (laughs) And they were like, no, no, it wasn't. But, you know, we know you from stage and you have something special to give as a dancer. Just think about it again. So I did, and then I realized, okay, if I continue dancing, I have to find some sort of... I didn't know what I was good at, really. I I need to find a company that offers a variety of styles. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I found this company in Norway, the Norwegian National Ballet, that I haven't actually heard of before. (laughs) (laughs) But I looked at the repertoire, and I was like, oh, my God, really? Is that really happening there they're doing all these amazing Kilian Forsyth Mats Egg and the classics and um, so I was intrigued by that and luckily I auditioned and got got a job offer. Mm -hmm. 
Do you think that, so oh, what, what was your singing training like up to this point? Cause you, certainly you didn't just like, like the first note you sang was like when you made this <laughs> choice. To <become laughs> but I, I do think it's funny because it's a little bit like so many people would be intimidated by training in any classical art. And you know, there's so many studies and it takes 10,000 hours to become a real, you know, that sort of thing. And then you think you can think of the way that Natalie Portman got ripped to shreds for portraying herself as like, oh, you can just become a dancer in six months. And then you're over here like, well, you well, can. You can. <laughs> and so were you just like, I mean, I became a dancer in six months. I can become a singer in six months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was, of course, because I have sung in the children's choir, there it didn't come from nowhere and I always uh, was interested in in my voice as well Mm -hmm. and uh, it was actually a great discovery about breath in general also that Mm -hmm. I was very important for me as a dancer and and sometimes I even use it as a choreographer for people when I feel that they're not breathing or they're not grounded they're not in their bodies I actually use vocal exercises to get them down to the center (laughs) Uh, because that's what I explored also in these lessons. And it, it was very serious. I mean, I took like three lessons a week. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to kind of find the right teacher, you know, and I did little concerts in churches and hospitals sometimes uh, oh. just to kind of try to stand in front of an audience singing and not dancing. Um, but then in Norway, I, I had a teacher in the beginning, but then I stopped because then I got... Uh, a lot to dance and I just mm-hmm. couldn't handle it physically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what were your first years in uh, Norway? Like, was that, was that your first time living abroad as well? Yeah, it was, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was interesting. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I thought, okay, Norway is not that different than Germany, mm-hmm. you know, culturally, but it is. And, mm-hmm. and you have to adjust to many things. Um, the weather being one of the factors that is slightly well, it has an influence on you, especially in the winter month. And and I, as a person, I went through such a transformation. When I arrived there, I was actually very lost because I didn't know who I was as a dancer, as an artist, as a person. So I always look at these first three, four years as big transformation years. And and also I give a lot of credit to the current director when I joined, Espen Giljane. Mm-hmm. I love Espen. Yes, he was amazing because he saw something. I mean, I I actually, I need to talk to him one day because (laughs) I was a lost case, you know, and he still believed in me and he gave me opportunities, although I have really also messed up a lot of things along the way. But Mm -hmm. so I'm extremely grateful for for the opportunities opportunities that he's given to me because it wasn't obvious because I I danced a lot of contemporary work in the beginning Mm -hmm. and which really suits me. It was probably the style that was best for me, mm-hmm. especially working with Paul Lightfoot and Sol Leon from Netherlands mm-hmm. Dance Theater. They kind of started my career in Norway. But then the classical parts came also later that I have thought, okay, I'm a contemporary dancer now. I took class in socks, you know, and I felt very grounded. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the the ballet parts came that I always wanted to do as a student. So it was an interesting path, I can say. Right. That's so interesting. What do you, when you say that you felt lost, were you feeling maybe like a sense of um, not very confident in your abilities or was it more like what kind of dancer am I? Like what was that emotion like for you at that time? 
It's a combination of things. I think the confidence was low because I didn't understand what I'm capable of. And my technique was also not in a good place. I changed it actually twice in my career completely. Mm-hmm. Also in my early mid thirties. <laughs> um, and yeah. And I mean, as you know, it's like a never ending process, uh, mm-hmm. but I just felt like I couldn't enjoy the moments on stage because I couldn't trust my technique or my, my strength, or I didn't know what I was capable of. So I need to find out all of these things in, in through the different repertory also. Yeah. And then you realize after a while, having worked with so many choreographers, what suits you best? What do you actually need from a choreographer? How do you want to work? So yeah, it's like so many elements that, that I felt like I always say that my real dance career started in Norway because mm-hmm. before in Leipzig, these years seem very blurry to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when I think about them. I mean, I danced a lot then. It was fun also, but but I was so unaware. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, at what point did um, you creating choreographing actually come into the picture? Was this something that happened sort of after you felt like you had, um, but you know, sort of found yourself, I guess, uh, that you'd become more comfortable as a performer and, and knew yourself better as a dancer? Or was this something you were exploring simultaneously with that finding of who, who you were artistically? Um, I mean, actually there I have to start in the end of my ballet education because in for the exam we actually had to either write a thesis or choreograph a piece which was an easy choice to make yeah <laughs> that would have been thesis central yes. oh. been like, Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and um but this school i loved i mean it was the perfect school for me because they did uh, classical ballet and contemporary ballet equally mm-hmm. 50-50, and there was a lot of improvisation that helped me later with foresight work. And uh, and it was very open to creativity, uh, encouraging also to, to create work. So for this exam, I actually choreographed my first work and I really enjoyed it. But then after that, in Leipzig, I've never thought about it. And then in Norway, they had these workshops at the time. They, already, they developed already into stage works now, but it was like, sort of like in the studio, you know, you could try things. You had a showing, a little presentation for for guests from outside and the company. Uh, and this is where it started. And actually from a very <laughs> um, self-indulgent point of a broken up relationship that needed therapy. <laughs> and I just had the, the, the need or I wanted to express this through movement. I needed to work through it somehow. I mean, mm-hmm. this might sound very emotional, which it probably was at the time. But, but I had this moment when just before going out to show this piece, I thought, oh my God, this is no one's business. I should not show this. It's so <laughs> private. And I was really thinking, should I really do this now? And I did, luckily. And then, so that's that started kind of this process of creating um, movement or choreographing. And, and then I did a couple of these workshops before I got my first commission mm-hmm. for, to create a piece for the company. Right. So at what point was it that you started to get outside interest as well and um, think like, okay, well, certainly you've established yourself within Norway, within your your personal company, but then 
you know, other, um, having the validation from other artists outside of your company? When did that sort of start to happen for you? Um, I mean, the first time was in 2013 in Russia, mm. in Yekaterinburg. And that was also a choreographic workshops, uh, a workshop internally, but they opened it up internationally for the first mm -hmm. time in that year. But then I, the real first big production was in 2015 in uh, the UK, mm -hmm. and it was an opera production. And the, uh, the person who directed it, he was also the opera director in Norway, and he always wanted to challenge me with opera work because mm -hmm. he knew my passion for opera. Mm -hmm. Uh, so he directed it and I choreographed it and it was Death in Venice by Benjamin Britten. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was what I call the international beginning of my career <laughs> as a choreographer. You continue to choreograph quite a bit for opera, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. yes. And I also, I have directed one uh, already oh. and choreographed together. Mm -hmm. So this is also a field that I'm really interested in combining because... I feel like all these singing lessons, they, you know, I profit from them within that yeah. work. Mm -hmm. um, understanding singers. I love working with singers and making them move and um, having an interaction with the dancer. Yeah. So it's these two passions and I can finally combine them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I love that, that that is something that I feel like in America, well, arts education in America is just very bleak now, but I, we, it, it does happen that, you know, choreographer of the day will will get a commission at, at the Met, you know, to do, you know, like, we'll just do a little dance in Aida or whatever. And, but I do always think like, oh, they probably don't know anything about, you know, it's just like that, that makes me uncomfortable. So I just love <laughs> that, like, you're going to come in with this wealth of knowledge um, about the respective art form. It's not just that you just show up and you like do a little ditty for the ensemble dancers like you actually know a whole history and um yeah can, can fully integrate yourself with it yes and also i think the work that is offered to me it i would i wouldn't be so interested in making a little dance as a decoration so mm -hmm. it's also it depends on the on the production the director the concept um because i like when it really when it interacts Mm -hmm. and, and when it really has a purpose and of course in opera if we go back to the baroque time i mean even the french baroque some of you open the score sometimes and it says ballet opera so it says ballet first because they were so connected mm -hmm. uh, and then through history they separated into mm -hmm. different art forms yeah we will return to conversations on dance in a moment but first Clearly, as a Conversations on Dance listener, you're a dance person. But even for the most devoted obsessive, it can be hard to stay on top of all the dance world's news. Enter the Dance Edit podcast, hosted by a group of editors from Dance Media, aka people who nerd out about dance for a living. Every Thursday morning, they lead a roundtable discussion on the week's top dance stories, followed by an interview with one of the dance artists shaping the news. Whether you're a dancer, a dance teacher, or some other variant of dance enthusiast, you'll find something that moves you on the Dance Edit podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or at thedanceedit.com slash podcast. I want to 
rewind a little bit to your um, beginnings of your choreography career. How was it for you to be, I always wonder this, to be choreographing on the company that you still dance in, and then suddenly you're in the front of the room, you're running the rehearsals. What is that transition like? And then how is that different from when you get a commission and you're in a brand new place with new dancers? Mm. I mean, there are, of course, advantages and disadvantages. The advantages are that you know the people. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know their physical and technical capabilities. You know them as people. So so sometimes when I started in, in Norway, when I started to think about a work, I already had a dancer in mind. Mm-hmm. You know, so that it was created for a specific person within the company. Right. And... As opposed to when I go somewhere, I mean, I had my first full-length ballet made in Austria in a new formed company and I didn't know any of of the people. So I couldn't make the casting before. I had to go and do workshops to find Mm. out who who responds to to me in a certain way. And and I'm really open to, to both. I like both because I actually also like this fact of in Russia, it was the same. I didn't know the dancers. They actually, they cast them for me. And then I arrived and I had to work with them. Oh Oof. man. Yeah. That's tough. I mean, that's a bit tough. I gave a, gave a little description of what I imagine. Yeah. <clears throat> but then also I, I can work with anybody really. Mm. It's, I'm not so picky because I think you can, you know, find something within every artist, dancer, and person. So, um, and I think that's always a nice challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So was there a point when choreography started to move to the forefront for you, where you were like, I'm more invested in this than I am in, in continuing to dance? What was that transition like? Yes. I mean, it actually took time, to be honest. It was... Uh, because dancing full-time and choreographing internationally doesn't really go together that well. Um, but I have to say the director that is directing the company now, Ingrid Lorenzen, she has been fantastic with me. She's given me time when I had a commission somewhere I could go. So there were never any problems with me leaving the company for a while. Mm-hmm. But then also slowly... Actually, at the age of 38, I had we were on tour with the production uh, where I danced leading role, and I decided in Vienna, that was a tour to Vienna, that that was my last show. No one knew it, but I knew it mm-hmm. because I had a commission afterwards, and I knew that things would just come mm-hmm. uh, in terms of choreography. And uh, so that was a decision that I made for myself. And also I was... Uh, on, at a good point, you know, physically everything was still working. And I thought this is a good moment for me <laughs> to decide that. And, and um, because it's something about planning, it took four or five years and, and I got so impatient in the beginning. It was like, but why is nothing happening? Mm-hmm. You know, I felt kind of stuck there right. because I couldn't move around. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took time for me to figure out how to, how to, um, organize everything and yeah what year was that that you retired is that 2019 i mean officially yes okay but you would know so before that when was that last performance a couple of years ago that was 217 oh okay oh so there was a little bit of time in there so 
I, I, I mean, Michael and I are recently retired. That's the year we retired too. Oh yeah, um, same <laughs> So how has? I mean, obviously you're still in the studio so much, but how has that been? Um, stepping away from the stage and not maybe taking class every day in order to perform. How has that transition been for you? Actually much easier than I thought because, well, there's a few factors that play into that first, that my career was so much more than I ever anticipated. So I, I, I look back at it and I feel like I have really stretched myself to the maximum of Mm -hmm. my, for my possibilities physically, technically, um, so I'm very content. I, I actually, there's nothing that I can say, Oh, I wish I would have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one part. And also physically I was at the point where it's like, you know, when you feel things and injuries and, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and, you know, first when, when I thought about it while I was still dancing, I was like, Oh my God, that's going to be so hard, you know, the stage. But, Actually, when I made the decision, I, I never thought I want to be back on stage, never once so far, mm. um, because also I had this gradual transition because I already created pieces and, mm. you know, so it, there wasn't like a big void in between mm. and that might have helped also the, the feeling about not being on stage. But, but I mean, people ask me all the time, but, you know, are you sure you don't want to perform again? It's like, well, actually, not really. <laughs> it's too exhausting. <laughs> then they're getting tired a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I get tired from different things now. <laughs> so, um, you know, this is obviously, uh, we have to include this in every interview we've done in 2020, but, you know, COVID has affected every artist very differently, you know. Um, and I don't think we ha- have we had any choreographers on where we talked about that process. I don't know. It's a lot of dancers being like, well, this sucks yeah. and you can't stay in shape in your apartment. But right. <laughs> it, I mean, for, for choreography, that's a whole different beast. You can't, you can't really create without your materials, mm-hmm. um, you know, in front of you. Or, I mean, I guess you, you, I'm certain you probably had to create something via Zoom. Has that happened? A rehearsal has happened okay. via Zoom, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't created. I mean, uh, this is, yeah, it's a difficult time. Uh, I mean, individually speaking, from my personal experience, it's been good for me um, for several reasons because I actually needed a break. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have taken this time for studying so I'm studying currently, I'm doing my master's in arts and cultural management. Wow. Um, it's an online study program, regardless of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just really 100% in there right now. Uh, and it's really wonderful. Um, in terms of creating, I have done some smaller scale things that mm-hmm. I didn't have time before. For instance, the solo that premieres, um, in a couple of weeks on flat pack. Um, but of course, all the big projects I was supposed to have my biggest production so far in Salzburg in the music festival, this January, the next January, but um, that's canceled um, amongst other projects. So yeah. So a lot of things are canceled or postponed to the next two, three years. So it's a bit of a weird feeling, but at the same time, since I'm someone who always embraces the 
current situations, even though it's not favorable mm -hmm. for me as a choreographer, but I, I'm, I turn it favorable. So I'm, I'm probably the last person who would complain. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is bad and we have to do something about it and it will pass at some point, but I always look, okay, so I can do this, but what else can I do? That's mm -hmm. kind of what I, what I always do. Right. Um, and now it's time to study, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> How much planning are you doing for these things that have been postponed? I would expect that you had some ideas in place. Are mm. you con continually thinking about that? Is it shifting? Is COVID changing your inspiration for these sorts of things? Oh, yes. I mean, oh, there's like one production in Austria, the second production in the same company in Graz. Um, and I actually choreographed half of the piece already in December oh last God. year. Mm -hmm. So that will be interesting because I will have to take it up in 2022. Oh my God. <laughs> that will be an interesting <laughs> question. If I look at the material then and think, mm, should I do everything again or should I use this again? Wow. But I actually haven't spent thought on it just now because there's right. no point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but does it have an effect? Yes, it does. And even the studies that I do, a lot of other doors open, a lot of other subjects come to my horizon. So I'm actually questioning a lot of the work that, that I've done. Mm -hmm. okay. There's a lot of transitioning happening within my thought process mm -hmm. uh, that I actually haven't had so much time for before. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm looking at things from a very different perspective and I feel that something needs to change. <laughs> um, and will change and I'm just kind of leaving it there right now. So I'm actually just enjoying again, these studies and see what it does to me create creatively, but I can feel that there's some sort of change happening already. <laughs> That's so interesting. So is there something we talked, we've talked to choreographer choreographers before who were like, Oh, that one piece I did, I hate it. I can't look at it anymore. You know, which as dancers, <laughs> we don't like to watch videos of ourselves. I imagine it's the same kind of thing. Is there something that you've done in the past that with this new thought process, you're like, Oh, I would love to go back and revisit that and shift it and kind of reflect my new thinking. Yes. Um, not consciously. I haven't thought about it, but um, revisiting, I always find it tricky. Yeah, Because I always feel like, okay, this piece was made in a certain time where I was at a, a certain place in my life as a mm -hmm. person. And then the question for me is, why would I visit, revisit it? I'd rather do something new. Mm -hmm. But of course, sometimes people want a certain piece again. Um, or I'm thinking also, you know, I, I want to direct a company one day and, mm -hmm. and I'm doing applications and you have to kind of put a program together and, and there's one ballet that means a lot uh, in my career. And I would love to re revisit that one actually ah. with, with a different cast and, mm -hmm. and rework it because I see there's some things that need changing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I'm open to that with pieces that, that I think are worth revisiting. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, for sure. But then the early works, I mean, yeah, it's that feeling. I look at them, it's like, oh my God, I get so embarrassed watching them. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, uh, let's talk a little bit um, about your work with Flatpak. You had your, your first work premiere back in October. Um, how, how did you uh, forge a, a relationship with Trey McIntyre, who has been head, um, heading the project? 
Well, that came about through my agent, actually. She connected us uh, because she read the article about Flatpak. Mm. And she said, you know, I think the two of you could hit it off. And this is how it started. It was actually very simple, easy. We had a Zoom meeting and we exchanged ideas. And I, I liked Trey instantly. Um, so it was... And, and and I had this piece that I worked on and it didn't have any premiere date, mm -hmm. the, the duet that we showed, mm -hmm. um, because it was um, a work that was desired by, by the female dancer, Jolanda Correa. Uh, she wanted a duet and we had time uh, in summer. So we said, oh, let's do it. I wanted to do point work, which I haven't done so much before. Oh. So there was this piece all of a sudden. And, and then there was Trey. I was like, well, I have this piece. I was like, great, let's show it. <laughs> So I love that piece so much. It was so beautiful. And that's really shocking to me, actually, that you haven't worked with point work that much. I just saw this like beautifully, like classical, but also modern, like this beautiful collaboration between the two. And it just, it was so pretty. It's so interesting. I loved it so much. I know Rebecca's probably looking at it from like the female point of view of just totally. like, well, those transitions don't look like they would hurt my body. Right. <laughs> it's, it's when you have a male choreographer, I think that that's something, you know, we, I, I never danced on point, not very few men did, but I think that, so that's something that is probably a little elusive. So I, I know that, you know, ballerinas are always like, that's kind of the first thing they see is like, are they achieving this from a, a technical standpoint that would be that would feel good as a dancer or is yeah. possible you know there's other some things we do that's impossible on point yeah. <laughs> right yes but i have to say that with working with jolanda and jason riley from the shukat bali uh, they're just so incredible at their craft i mean they know they're so good at at what they do so it was actually easy to create this and also knowing Jolanda so well, we are best friends, you know, mm. and also she would tell me if something was, yeah. you know, she was right. like, well, you know, try it. On point. <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate that because as I said, I'm, I'm, I haven't, I actually have tried uh, some point work mm -hmm. not so long ago, actually during the lockdown. This oh, is cool. It's hilarious because I was like, there were these point shoes in my basement and I, I moved apartments and I was like, oh my God, I have these point shoes here. Maybe now is the time to try a little bit. <laughs> Amazing. How did it go? Yeah. It went well. I had, a, I had a lesson with Yolanda. I was like, oh my God, this is really hard. <laughs> I love it. Oh but it gosh. was good. It was good to just feel it. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, I mean, I will never you know, this is very private. I can't believe I'm telling you this anyway, but, uh, <laughs> but it was a good, like a good uh, thing to do to just feel how you go up and down correctly, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, how different it is on the balance and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It was just a nice research for me. That's cool. And I love that. Kind of played into the duet work that we did. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit, is this your first time creating for film uh, yes, actually it is. I how, mean, how is that different than prestige? Um, it's different in the sense because I'm not a photographer, so I wouldn't really, I mean, I had people filming my work before and I have looked over their shoulders and, you know, 
I was also part of the editing process, all of that. But now I, the, the photographer I work with now here in Berlin, he's particularly good at what he does. And, and I just love the catching of some details that you necessarily wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily see on stage. Mm -hmm. So as close-ups or finding the right dynamics, you know, shifting the camera, having a moving camera. So it just adds more to the story and intimacy of the pieces. So I appreciate that. So there's something that I want to explore more because it's also about the right, yeah, the editing is such a crucial process mm -hmm. to make it accessible so you're not overwhelmed by images, but mm -hmm. not underwhelmed, you know, so it, the right focus goes in the right place. And then I always appreciate uh, uh, Jubal Battisti, who is the photographer. He was a dancer himself. So that always helps um, yes. with filming dance. Yeah, yeah totally. So, so you have another film coming out for Flatpak on December 18th. Um, were there things from your first experience that you were like, okay, now I know a little bit better. I want to try this out or... Um, ways that you were you're moving forward as you continue to explore dance on film yeah i mean in a way uh, since it was the same photographer he he understood already a little bit about the work and he was part of rehearsals as well mm -hmm. and i told him what the solo was about so for me it was just important because i have no technical knowledge about photography mm -hmm. but i can share the information about the piece, the emotion that I'm looking for, what is important to catch, you know, right. but then the how they have to figure it out. <laughs> and then I actually, I also trust it's kind of one thing uh, when I, the people that I choose to work with, I trust them and mm -hmm. I also let them do their work. Mm. Uh, it's very important to me that of course I get the final, the, you know, the, mm -hmm. the draft and, you know, I have maybe, a few corrections, but I'm also okay, but they are artists too, and they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually have to say that I don't interfere so much in, in the process. Yeah. That's a good thing. A good feeling, I would imagine, to just know that you trust everyone in the room and kind of let everybody contribute too, right, in the process. Yeah, if I feel that we are all on the same track, then then that's actually easy. Yeah to do awesome well we're going to move to our final section of our interview which is called our lightning round where we ask you one question and you just tell us the first thing that comes to mind oh no oh no no <laughs> everybody panics but there's it's no been a minute since we've done a lightning round i'm glad we're bringing this back we're bringing this is it our, back we love this <laughs> all right this is actually one of my favorite questions if you were to return to the stage tomorrow what would what would you want to dance what ballet or what role Hamlet. Ah. Is there, <laughs> is there a choreographer you never got to work with that you wish you had over your career? Matzek. Matzek. Um, dream company to choreograph for? Oh, okay. Well, that's difficult. You can have a few. You can have a few. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I don't know right off the top of my head. I mean... I love smaller companies, you know, uh, maybe I, I think this company in Hanover is interesting now, Marco Gerke's company. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. Great. Um, so if you could, a dream production that is, um, you know, you can have 
infinite amounts of money and resources, but you, uh-huh. but you're directing and you know producing and choreographing the whole thing. What would that be? Uh, I know that exactly. It's a baroque, a French baroque opera called Les Andes Galantes mm. by Rameau. It's going to happen one day. I feel it. I feel like you've already <laughs> planned it. Um, Is there something, this is a new question that we've been adding, but it's been really fun. Is there something that you've um, adopted or you've been using during this time of COVID and quarantine that you want to continue with in the future? Maybe a new skill, maybe a book, music, something like that. Oh, um, I mean, other than point work, (laughs) other than point work. And I mean, the only thing I can think of right now is, a very efficient way of working out in my living room. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because I, I have to do that in hotel rooms as well and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, so it's very, I have a program, I have my tools and gadgets. So I'm very proud about that. Actually, That's awesome. <laughs> if you want to send me that. Yeah. Email out. <laughs> I think yeah. we can all identify with that for sure. Some at home workouts. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much. This was so much fun. What a delight to speak with you. We're looking forward to your new film coming to Flatpak soon. We're excited about it. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank Thank you you so much. That was really a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us this week. If you would like to support the Conversations on Dance podcast, there are a few ways that you can help. Click over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review download episodes when you listen to allow our analytics to better understand our listenership join our facebook group conversations on dance friends of the pod or you can offer a donation conversations on dance has always been and will always be free to our listeners you can help us continue to create and produce this unique behind the curtain look at the dance world by visiting conversationsondancepod.com support thank you for tuning in see you next week